You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Great to be with you. My guest today is Dr. Gerard Nadal. He is a molecular microbiologist who currently serves as the president and CEO of the Coalition on Abortion Breast Cancer. Wow, if I were to go into his entire educational background and work, it is phenomenal from psychology, philosophy, studying theology, a past seminarian, you name it. This man has incredible credentials and a really wonderful heart for service and pro-life work. Welcome, Dr. Nadal. Hey, thank you, Timory. It's great to be with you. So today on the show with Dr. Nadal, we're going to be talking about the impact of not only hormonal contraception on women, the tie-in to breast cancer, among other things, but also we'll be talking about how abortion has been linked to causing breast cancer. We'll also be talking about career development, career changes, vocational kind of direction and discernment coming up with Dr. Nadal in just a bit here. So don't go away. Meantime, Dr. Nadal, I want to start by talking about contraception because this whole debate over abortion and contraception are really closely linked. People look at contraception as kind of the answer to reducing abortion numbers, but the reality is is that contraception itself has a major impact in long term on a woman's body. Can you talk a little bit to that? Oh, sure. There's, um, there's plenty of um, impact on women's bodies. And so in order to discuss this, I'm not sure who all of your listeners are, but I'm going to give fair warning here. We're going to have to talk about... Um, you know, some rather intimate material. So this, if anybody has children listening, this might be a good time to, uh, you know, tune out and tune in later. Um, but with that said, I'll, I'll dive into it. The birth control pill has not been a bargain for women on any level. Let's start with uh, the fact that the combined estrogen progestin pill is on the World Health Organization's Group 1 list of known carcinogens. So um, the World Health Organization has a whole monograph with all these different lists of chemicals and just what their degree of carcinogenicity is, whether they are suspected or maybe or probable. Well, the group one list is the known list of cancer-causing substrates. And so we have things like plutonium, uranium, arsenic, tobacco, alcohol, and the combined estrogen progestin pill on that list. Studies have been done that have shown uh, there was a meta-analysis that came out um, in the proceedings of the Mayo Clinic a number of years back that showed that overall the increased risk for breast cancer in women is roughly about 40% for women who are on the pill. Wow. So that is um, a huge increase. And you know, it's so interesting, Dr. Nadal, because people right now are crazy about eating organic, making sure that they're careful with what foods they put into their body, even becoming increasingly more aware of some of the impact of various pharmaceutical drugs to help with, you know, basic common colds to more serious issues. Yet people don't blink an eye about the impact of hormonal birth control. Oh, I know. People don't want hormones in their beef or their chicken, but they think nothing of popping the pill on a daily basis, right? I mean, it's, um, you know, there's a disconnect there. Let's go even further. 
you know, most breast cancers are, are ductal breast cancers. Um, there is the deadliest form of breast cancer, which is, is called triple negative breast cancer. I won't get into all the molecular particulars about that, but triple negative breast cancer is the deadliest, most aggressive, most difficult form of breast cancer to treat. Now, uh, Dr. Louise Brinton and her associates at the National uh, Cancer Institute, who actually denied <laughs> their own research uh, when we showed that there was this link to um, between induced abortions and breast cancer. Well, they, they got together and they did a, a paper on the combined estrogen progestin pill and its effect on the incidence of triple negative breast cancer. And what they came up with was, was stunning. They found that if a woman begins to take the pill, the combined estrogen progestin pill, after the age of 22, her risk for contracting triple negative breast cancer before the age of 40, so we're talking premenopausal, before the age of 40, her risk goes up 250%. If women begin age of first use of the pill between ages 18 and 22, they found that their risk of coming down with triple negative breast cancer before the age of 40 goes up 270%. And if a woman begins to take the pill prior to age 18, her risk of triple negative breast cancer before the age of 40 goes up 500 and 40%. Did you say before the age of 13? Before the age of 18. Before the age of 18. And mo the reality Perfect. is yeah, most most high schoolers today are actually on hormonal contraception. So you're saying if you just start taking breast cancer before 18, that you are 270% more likely to contract breast cancer. And we're talking triple well, no, negative. If, no, above the age of, if, you if your age of first use is above 22, your risk goes up 250%. If it's between 18 and 22, the risk goes up 270%. If age of first use is below 18, the risk goes up 540%. Wow. Now, this is a group that was doing research out of the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Institute up in Washington. They're kind of like the Sloan Kettering of the East Coast. Um, they're they're world-renowned. Uh, and, and this paper came out in 2009. And it was just, I mean, those are devastating numbers. And, and for, yet, for people, you know, I think it got very little airtime when it came out in 2009. And certainly, uh, you know, I, I speak to medical students all the time, nursing students. I go around the country. They're not made aware of these numbers. People have so no how, idea. You know, no, of course not. And, you know, the concern here, you know, quite aside, you know, we, we can take a look at the science and filter that through the lens of our Catholic perspective. And, and we ought to. But even if you want to take a completely secular approach to a paper like this, the question is, how come women aren't being told about those numbers? Shouldn't that be part of informed consent? You know, if, you, if you're going to start taking a hormonal contraceptive, you should really be given all of the risk factors so that you can decide for yourself whether or not you wish to accept that risk. If we're withholding information from women, then we're manipulating them. And what's really interesting is the people who do this manipulation are the ones who pride themselves on um, being pro-choice. 
It's atrocious as we're looking at this. For those who are just joining us, that is Dr. Gerard Nadal. He is doing incredible work, really pointing to the connection not only between abortion and breast cancer, but the pill and breast cancer. And Dr. Nadal, one thing that we haven't even touched on, I know we're going to get into a little bit more in a bit when we talk <coughs> about the abortion breast cancer link, is we're talking about the increased risk of breast cancer. As you take the pill younger and younger, the risk gets higher. But we're not even mentioning the fact that some people are already more susceptible to cancer and breast cancer, which that number just goes off the charts for that woman's risk. It's almost like an absolute sentence to have breast cancer in many ways. Well, and we're seeing these breast cancers in younger and younger and younger women. You know, it used to be once upon a time um, in society that the one demographic that really had the greatest risk of breast cancer was actually Catholic nuns. (laughs) People are going to go, what? (laughs) Yeah, what? What is that? Don't drive off the road. Um, Yeah, Catholic nuns traditionally had um, a very high incidence of breast cancer compared to the rest of the population. And this kind of, you know, we can segue from here into the link between induced abortion and breast cancer to understand why. Please enlighten Um, us. Yeah, absolutely. When it's a very, very simple mechanism, actually. So first off, let let me say, um, I'll put the disclaimer out. For women who have had miscarriages, like first trimester, early second trimester miscarriages, um, they don't have any increased risk of breast cancer. So let me put that right out there, and we can talk about why later. But when a woman gets pregnant, let's just take a woman who's never been on the pill, never been pregnant, um, she's in her early 20s, and um, she gets married, she gets pregnant. A number of changes happen right off the bat. One of the first indications that, you know, aside from a missed period, that a woman might be pregnant is that she notices that her breasts are really getting very swollen and tender. And that's because when a woman gets pregnant, her estrogen levels go up over 2,000-fold. And, I mean, that's a skyrocketing estrogen level. And what that does is it hyperstimulates the breast tissue, the lobules in the breast and the ductules in the breast. And the cells of those structures roughly double in number early on. And these are very immature cells. We call them type 1 and type 2 cells. And they're very cancer-susceptible cells. Um, So now when when a woman has gotten pregnant, she's the first thing that happens in that first trimester and early on is she doubles the number of cells. So after a first full-term pregnancy, um, a woman will notice if she's never been on the pill and she's never been pregnant before, she'll notice that her breasts have roughly doubled in size uh, by the end of a a first full-term pregnancy. That's because you've roughly doubled the number of cells. So what happens as the pregnancy progresses is that when she gets into, as she gets into the third trimester, the baby through its placenta, right? The placenta is an organ of the baby, not the mother. The baby begins to secrete a hormone called human placental lactogen. And lactogens are hormones that stimulate breast cells to begin to make milk. So they mature and they begin to produce milk. So in that third trimester, quite frequently women will notice that their breasts begin to leak and that's because they're producing milk. So what happens now is that not only are those cells maturing, they become what we call type three and type four cells. They also become cancer resistant for life. 
And we have the data that show the molecular switches that are thrown by placental lactogen. Uh, so we know the genes that are involved. These cells actually become cancer-resistant. Up to 85% of a woman's um, breast cells will become cancer-resistant for life as a result of the baby giving the mother a protective effect. So we call it the protective effect of a first full-term pregnancy. With subsequent pregnancies and breastfeeding, that remaining 15% will begin to diminish. So the earlier a woman has a baby, a first full-term pregnancy, and if she's never been on the pill um, and she has that baby, she's going to get a powerful protective effect from the baby. So here's that beautiful reciprocity between mother and child. Uh, the mother gives the child life, and the child reciprocates that life back to the mother by protecting the mother from breast cancer. That is absolutely beautiful. Dr. Nadal, that is Dr. Nadal. He works really spreading the incredible information about the abortion breast cancer link and really the science behind it. And you are a voice, Dr. Nadal, that people need to hear. I remember in college, I was in a speech class and they said, hey, you can give a speech on any topic you want, persuasive speech. Just can't be abortion and it cannot be same-sex marriage because those two topics are already decided. Which, by the way, this was prior to Obergefell versus Hodges. The same-sex marriage debate was not decided it was interesting though because i thought oh yeah she said we can't talk about abortion i'm going to find a way around it and so long story short i did a whole powerpoint presentation and persuasive speech on specifically the abortion breast cancer link and here's what she did she sat there with her arms folded the entire time because she couldn't object this is science and what this science shows is that when we take the perspective of children outside of marriage and we start to end human life early, the natural development of human life, the development of a woman through pregnancy, actually has long-term consequences. Oh, it absolutely does. Can you talk a little bit more to what happens when, so let's say a woman has abortion prior to that 25-week mark, which is when most abortions are performed by. If she has an abortion at that point, what percentage of her cells, again, are cancer vulnerable and what happens? Like, okay, so the abortion takes place, those cells never develop. Where Where's the woman at now? Okay. So if a woman has a an abortion early on, well, the, the you know, Studies have been shown, actually, by one of the <laughs> one of the worst of the pro-abort researchers uh, that denied the significance of their own literature. Mods Melby showed that um, throughout the first half of pregnancy, the um, risk of breast cancer increases three percent a week um, up until you get to the third trimester, um, and you get the protective effect from um, human placental lactogen. So, what happens very simply is this. Um, if a woman has an abortion, she's gotten pregnant, her estrogen levels have skyrocketed, they have hyperstimulated the breast tissue, her cells have roughly doubled in number, you have all of these type 1, type 2 cells that are cancer susceptible, um, but they don't have the maturing influence of placental lactogen because the baby's not there to give it to the mother. Wow. Because she's had an abortion. So she's deprived of that protection. And so now you have double the number of cells that are cancer-prone cells. And now the longer she goes um, with not having a first full-term pregnancy, the more opportunity there is for environmental influences 
to begin to impact those cells and turn them precancerous and then maybe even cancerous. And then if she has a genetic predisposition, that's just going to increase the odds even further. So, So, you know, getting back to Catholic nuns and why they always had a higher incidence of breast cancer, because, um, you know, back in my mother's generation, um, most women got married pretty early on. Like my mom was 19 when she got married, you know, she was out of high school, she was working. Um, and, and that's what people did. You know, you got out of high school, you know, there wasn't another 10 years of extended adolescence back then. Uh, you know, you got out of high school and you, you got married and you made a family and, you know, you got about the business of living. So early on, most women had a first full-term pregnancy and derived the benefit of a first full-term pregnancy. So your breast cancer rates were pretty low. The birth control pill wasn't around at the time. So who is the one demographic in society that never got pregnant? Catholic nuns. Catholic nuns, right? So once upon a time, they were the demographic, like they, they were pretty high demographic for breast cancer, but, you know, not so much anymore. Um, because we have women taking birth control pills, and basically you're taking this combined estrogen-progestin pill. So what you're doing is, uh, and, and now they have lower-dose pills, but that's only a recent uh, addition. Uh, there was always a pretty high-dose estrogen in, in those pills for decades. And so every month was sim- you know, basically simulating a pregnancy followed by an abortion. It's so right? sad. You have a, a high-dose estrogen and then withdrawal of the estrogen. So every month you were blasting the breast tissue with high-dose estrogen, stimulating the breast tissue, but never providing a protective effect and so from placental lactogen. Wow. And so some of these various types of birth control, because we're not just talking about the birth control pill, but even various other types of birth control. I mean, I've worked in the crisis pregnancy centers. We would see different types of birth control or contraceptives popping up all the time. And they were usually made up of some sort form of estrogen and progesterone. But even the mini pill, as they referred to it, with kind of a smaller dosage of these hormones, it still puts you at risk of breast cancer. Not only that, but we've seen statistics showing that it puts puts you at even higher risk for some of the depression and anxiety mental illness issues. Oh, sure. Well, and then, you know, here are some of those other effects of the pill. For a lot of women, the pill actually kills a woman's libido. So, I mean, imagine that. You want to go out and have a robust sex life without any consequences to it. So you take this pill that's going to take away the consequences, but then it robs you of your libido. So then what was the point of taking the pill? In a lot of other women... um, it, it alters the vaginal secretions, you know, in such a way that women don't sufficiently lubricate, and then intercourse becomes very painful for them. And so now they, you know, they, they can't have the sex that they wanted to have because the sex is painful, and that's if they haven't killed off their libido. Well, and, steps- and then in some women, these effects persist even after they take the, they stop taking the pill. Right. And I mean, people are seeing the stats coming out that millennials have less sex than any of the prior generations. This is yet another one of those reasons that is contributing to the decline in not only marriage, but sexual intimacy even taking place. And, you know, you and I, Dr. Nadal, have the opportunity to work in the summers at the Vox Vitae Leadership Program. And there we're working with teenagers. And you always, you know, share this. I'm not telling you teenagers to go out and get pregnant young just so that you can prevent breast cancer. But what it speaks to is the fact that marriage is meant to be not only between one man and one woman within the context of marriage, but having children 
is life-saving for the body, not only from the perspective of medically life-saving, but that sacrifice that the human person then enters into that physical reality points to a spiritual reality of you change as a person when you make those sacrifices for another human being as well. Oh, you absolutely do. You absolutely do. Um, you know, like the, and the church teaches that, you know, and, and here's where, you know, you can filter the data through the prism of our faith. And, and, you know, it's really good because when you start seeing all the scientific data coming in, you begin to understand like why those teachings are there. Mm -hmm. You know, the classical approach in molecular genetics, if you discovered a gene, you know, and, and you say, hey, look, I found a gene. The next question is, great, what does it do? And then you say, well, I don't know. Well, then what you have to do is you actually have to go in and destroy the functionality of that gene, right? So there's a way, very simple ways of basically um, disrupting the ability of that gene to function. And then you analyze the cell or the organism and you look for all the downstream consequences of that disruption. Well, that's basically what we're doing now, right? I mean, back in 1968, you can forgive people, um, you know, who wanted to take this pill. It seemed like a pretty reasonable thing at the time. Now, a half century later, we have a body count. You know, we have a mountain of casualties here. And so you can begin to look at this and you begin to realize, like, wow, you know, God actually knew what he was doing when he designed us. <laughs> Well, you know, I want to touch on another part. For those who are just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. You're listening to Dr. Gerard Nadal, who's with me. He's a molecular microbiologist. Dr. Nadal, there's a study that came out this year, and it was talking about depression and birth control. It came out of the University of British Columbia and was published in the Journal of Child Psychiatry or Psychology, sorry. And it was talking about the development of adolescence and when a child or let's say a teenager whose brain and body are still developing is regularly taking the hormonal contraceptives, what's happening is its manipulation of hormones in her body is actually posing a long-term impact even after taking the pill that is linked to a high levels of depression. Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt that at all. Um, and I think you can come at this from one of two ways. I mean, we know that hormonal fluctuation will induce um, mood alterations. Right? I mean, that, that's pretty well known in people. <laughs> Dr. Um, Nadal, this is why most guys don't want their girlfriends on the birth control pill, not because they're worried about getting pregnant or not getting pregnant. They don't like the mood she's in. I hear this all the time. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Um, but, you know, and I, I always say to guys, like, listen, if you don't believe the connection between mood and hormones, just take a look at the guys that take um, steroids, you know, because they want to bodybuild and, and look at the, the aggression and the rage that testosterone will induce. Mm. And then they say, oh, yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but getting back to this study real quick, um, yeah, we don't know all the ways that the pill, like, I, you know, I didn't see too many hard and fast mechanisms that were elucidated that we could say, oh, well, it goes here and does this, or it goes there and does that. But, you know, there's something else about um, sex um, that, that I think we have to take a look at, and that is, you know, when, and this is especially true in women, when women have sex, um, when there's any kind of like caressing, like just caressing on the body, it elicits um, the release of the hormone oxytocin, which is responsible for childbirth and, and ejecting milk. Um, but oxytocin also during childbirth and, and nursing 
helps produce within the woman powerful feelings of being bonded to the baby. So women will release oxytocin. Um, you know, when they're having sex, when they're orgasming, they release oxytocin. This produces powerful feelings of bondedness to the man that they're having sex with. So if you're taking the pill, then you're going out and having a lot more sex than maybe the girl that's not taking the pill. And you're having all this natural bonding to the people that you're having sex with. But then that relationship breaks up and it's like having your psyche run through a paper shredder. So, you know, there's this psychic, you know, phenomenon that's directly related to a mechanism that we do know quite a bit about. Coming right back, we will be with Dr. Gerard Nadal. We'll be diving more into the abortion breast cancer link and we'll be talking about careers and changing of where you're going to work. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. If you are just joining us, this is an episode you don't want to miss as we're heading into Breast Cancer Awareness Month. This is a gift you can give to someone else, and that is just by the knowledge. My guest today is Dr. Gerard Nadal. He's a molecular microbiologist who currently serves as the president and CEO of the Coalition on Abortion Breast Cancer. Dr. Nadal and I have been talking about the abortion breast cancer link and the link to hormonal contraceptives. We've gone into a lot of the data, and he has explained the breakdown of how the two are linked. Coming up, we'll be talking about sex differences between men and women. We'll also be talking about career path. Dr. Nadal, I understand that there have been some studies showing that rats who get pregnant don't have any cancer. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, they don't get breast cancer. Okay. Um, When we do research and, and we want to propose a model in humans, it usually begins with animal research. And you have to show that there's a biological model that translates into other mammals. So, you know, one of the things that really got the ball rolling on this abortion breast cancer link was back, I think it was late 70s, early 80s, there was an Argentinian couple, Jose and Irma Russo, uh, who were biologists, and, and they were doing research. They were doing breast cancer research. And they would get these lab rats in, and they would hit them with this chemical that, that we use in the lab to induce breast cancer. And then they were studying uh, the cancerous tissue. Well, you can learn a lot from the people who supply you with your laboratory animals. They're usually a wealth of information. So one day they got a delivery, and and this fellow um, was walking out, and he just as an aside, he turned around and and he said, "Um, just whatever you do, don't let these rats get pregnant. If they get pregnant, they won't get breast cancer. Interesting. Now, yeah, Jose and Irma being really good researchers, right? I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that a biologist, you know, antennae will go up right away. You know, you just kind of sit up straight and say, you want to repeat that? And, <laughs> and they, that's what they said. You want to repeat that? And he said, um, if you let them get pregnant, they won't get breast cancer. We don't know why, but it, it's just a quirk. But just be on the lookout for it. Well, not only were they on the lookout for that, but that actually changed the direction of their research. And that's where we began to understand the protective effect of a first full-term pregnancy. 
Wow. So, so we, we actually have a really powerful animal model for this. This is something we have known for quite a while then. Oh, yeah. This is, no, this, this is not new knowledge. And some of these abortion breast cancer papers go way back to the 1960s. I believe there's even one from the 1950s, you know, indicating the link between the two. But, uh, you know, political correctness um, also afflicts uh, physicians and biologists. And um, people are given to certain political orthodoxies, and they will either wittingly or, you know, unwittingly suppress the truth. What I find so interesting of political orthodoxy. I mean, all of this content has been buried for years, whether it's the medical impact on the woman's body from abortion, the deaths from abortion and how that's covered up, or it's the abortion breast cancer link, you name it. But what's interesting is no matter what, even if the researchers go in wanting to deny something, the research is true and it's being published in international journals that are so helpful. So there's a trail, there are studies out there and yet people say, well, why don't you show me kind of neutral sources? And I always respond by saying, we have sources on both sides showing the information. It doesn't have to come out of a pro-life source or an absolutely neutral source in order to get the data. Well, first of all, all of these sources, most of the people doing research are well-known advocates of abortion. But they don't want, what they've done is they've dismissed their own data. And because Mm -hmm. a lot of these studies have been um, retrospective analyses where you sit down with people and you go through an exhaustive checklist of, have you ever had this? Have you ever had this? Have you ever had this? Have you ever had And you get a, a very, very detailed medical history. And then you begin to tease apart all the variables. And so uh, what these people said was um, that women who've had abortions are more apt to recall having had an abortion um, because they're so traumatized by their breast cancer. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they call it recall bias. Um, and there have been studies that were done after that that showed that disproved the recall bias phenomenon, looking at ovarian, uh, looking at cervical cancer. Um, we know that cervical cancers, with the exception of um, clear cell carcinomas of the cervix, and, and those are girls whose mothers took thiethylstilbestorol while they were pregnant with them, well, aside from those, we know that pretty much all the rest of the cervical cancers, for the most part, come from human papillomavirus, mm. which is a sexually transmitted disease. So studies were done there, and they showed that there is absolutely no difference in the cancer rates of cervical cancer between women who had abortions or women who didn't have abortions. So the whole recall bias thing has been pretty soundly defeated. Excellent. I want to dive into another area briefly before we move on, though. Touching on miscarriage, you mentioned earlier, as we're pointing to this abortion breast cancer link, miscarriage is often referred to medically as a a spontaneous abortion, right? Um, Miscarriage is not linked to this increased risk in breast cancer. Can you explain why? Sure. Early term miscarriages, like first trimester, early second trimester, are not linked. And, And that's because, especially the first trimester, um, usually something has gone horribly wrong early on in the development of the baby. And blood studies have shown that the hormonal levels in these women never really got much above their baseline levels. So they didn't get this skyrocketing estrogen, you know, the 2,000-fold increase in estrogen. So they never do get the hyperstimulation of the breast tissue. So if a woman has had 
an early miscarriage, then no, she's at no increased risk. And this has been shown time and time and time again. Um, Later term miscarriages, yes, they do carry the same risk. Thank you for clarifying Um, that, because I know some people who are listening, miscarriage is such a deep wound in our society and so common that I know people probably hear, oh, gosh, am I at risk? Well, here's the data, here's the information. And, you know, isn't it just such a gift to see that how this all works in the body, how the body, I mean, the body is incredible. The cancer resistance element, the fact that when something's going wrong with the hormones, that's when the miscarriage occurs, but it's not creating that increase of breast cancer link. So please be sure if you're just joining us, that is Dr. Gerard Nadal here on Trending with Timory. Go back, listen to the episode at radiotrending.com, or you can find it at relevantradio.com as well. Dr. Nadal, as a molecular microbiologist, I wanted to get your thoughts on this whole transgender pro LGBTQ chaos and ideology that's going on right now. Can you speak to some of the sex differences that are literally written into every cell of the human body? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, Well, first of all, there's a structural difference between men and women in every cell, and that is women have two copies of the X chromosome, their DNA, and men have one copy of the X chromosome, but then from their fathers, they receive a Y chromosome. So if you are a biological female, every cell in your body has two X chromosomes. If you are a biological male, every cell in your body has an X and a Y chromosome. So that's immutable. Let me just run very quickly through some of the other you know, differences and maybe you know, I mean, like, I could go on, like, a two-hour lecture on all the differences. So in a few minutes, you know, that we have, let me put this in the context of something that's very much in the news, and that's these boys that are now competing, you know, biological males that are competing as girls in sports, both in high school and in college. Um, and, you know, people say, well, if you just give them estrogen for a year, you know, it will lower their muscle tonality somewhat? Well, yes and no. But the problem is that men have different kinds of muscle cells than women, and that's genetically determined. Women have muscle cells that are really good for endurance, uh, you know, endurance performance, whereas men have muscle cells that are much better suited for uh, the power stroke, you know, fast, powerful, rapid action, uh, you know, so it's, it, you know, but it doesn't go as enduring as, as women's muscle cells will go. Biological males have greater heart capacity. Um, so your cardiac function in, enhanced capacity, um, your pulmonary function enhanced capacity. So, you know, you can give a guy estrogen all the live long day. That's not going to reduce his cardiac output. That's not going to reduce Uh, the capacity of the lungs to supply the muscles with oxygen. It's not going to change the nature of the structure of the muscle cells. So, you know, one of the things that we have going on here in the culture is quite aside from the grave injustice that um, physicians are doing to kids that are confused um, by, you know, juicing them up with hormones to change the outward appearance is there's a grave injustice that's being done to girls and girls' sports because, you know, now we're seeing the the news stories about how the girls are being displaced when it comes to competition, uh, and now they're losing scholarships to college as a result. 
Wow. It's heartbreaking. These you know, girls were um, working so you're hard. you're a guy, you're a guy, right? Right. Say that again, I'm sorry. I see these girls are working so hard. It's incredible that this is being allowed to take place. Well, yeah, and you know, the simple answer to that is just that, you know, the girls should all walk out on the track, you know, line up for the start of the race, and when the gun goes off, they just stand up and don't move. <laughs> don't participate. I agree. Let the guys run around the track, you know? I mean, it's going to look kind of, you know, silly, isn't it? But, I mean, the point is made. You can protest without, you know, screaming and carrying on. I mean, you could just stand up and deprive them. Now, if female athletes did this across the board in high school and college, how long would it be before the corporate sponsors started raising holy hell about this? You know, Dr. Nadal, I want to come back on this, getting a little bit into the differences, because we need to be prepared to have these conversations because we're not being hateful. We're not being unmerciful. We're talking about basic biological fact. And in fact, in this case, the fairness of whether or not men should be allowed to compete in women's only sports. We'll be right back on Trending with Tim Ray with Dr. Gerard Nadal. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Dr. Gerard Nadal is with me. He is a molecular microbiologist who serves as the president and CEO of the Coalition on Abortion Breast Cancer. I'd like to talk to you, Dr. Nadal, about this link between hormones and this hormone replacement therapy. We mentioned at the top of the show about how a recent study came out yet again linking hormonal manipulation of birth control with adolescents and how it's having a long-term impact on the brain. We're going to touch on this kind of unknown frontier, but also can you speak to how it's inducing cancer for many people? Um, well, we know that breast tissue is, is sensitive, and we know that men get breast cancer. It's nowhere near the rate at which women get breast cancer. But there is a concern now that when you're taking all of these biological males and putting them on high-dose estrogen, that we may very well be looking at a tidal wave of breast cancers in these transgender kids, you know, 10 years, 15 years down the road. A lot of this is, is unknown territory. In juicing women up with testosterone, um, you know, you get cancers that are associated with increased testosterone. So what are we doing to women's bodies? You know, there's a lot that we don't know still about the effects of, of these hormones within the brain and throughout the body. Like a, a paper just came out, this, this is fascinating, paper just came out this week. We know that adrenaline is secreted from the adrenal glands, but now we understand that in that fight or flight response, that the bones in the body, the entire skeleton is responsible for secreting substances that lead to the increased heart rate and blood pressure and everything else. Who knew? That's the beauty of being a researcher is that you know, we're comfortable saying, well, gee, you know, we don't know everything yet. As a matter of fact, you know, for all that we know, we really don't know very much at all. Well, and this is the bottom and, line, the unknown long-term impact for hormone replacement therapy, but also even some of the impact of the newer types of sex changes that we talked about recently on trending that we're doing to prepubescent children. And essentially what this is, is an open-ended, unregulated, massive experimentation on psychiatric patients who are children and adolescents. Thank you. It, it is the most unethical thing yeah. in the world that's going on. And especially in, fa in light of the literature that we have that shows that 
85 to 95 percent of these kids, either with the aid of therapy or just watchful waiting, by the time they're in their early 20s, get it all straightened out. And we are just pushing for transgendering them. If we're pushing to chemically and surgically mutilate them with the certain knowledge that 85 to 95 percent will get it straightened out by their early 20s, this is the wholesale corruption of the medical establishment. Well, and Dr. Nadal, we're even seeing that even if the sex change or hormone replacement therapy doesn't take place earlier on, on average, I believe it's somewhere between seven and 10 years where that regret kicks in and the person ends up questioning or completely reverting or trying to do what they can because some of it is permanent damage. So I'm interested to see, I was just talking to my mom about this. The last couple of years, we've seen this extreme experimentation with regard to sex changes and hormone replacement therapies. We are just maybe five years out from seeing a massive backlash over those people who have been wounded, manipulated, and outright, I mean, experienced child abuse from this political agenda of this gender ideology. And that's exactly what it is. It's, It's a political agenda. This is not scientific at all. You know, when classically, when you had somebody whose subjective perception was entirely out of line with the objective reality of their life, you know, that is classified as delusional thinking. You know, if I put on an 18th century military uniform and rode a white horse up and down the street screaming, I'm Frederick the Great, they'd put me away. Right? <laughs> right. But, <laughs> you know, I'm picturing you. <laughs> I'm picturing. I think that would be a great stunt for the Vox Vitae leadership camp that we run in the summer is help put everything into perspective here for some people. Might have to do that next summer. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the traditional therapy for somebody who is delusional, you know, it's a very simple paradigm for the most part. You, You take what's objectively true about the person and you use that as your fixed point in space for navigation. You navigate the whole therapeutic process, you know, to bring the subjective perception into alignment with the objective reality. And when you do... You know, it's pretty much a cure. Amen. Thank you so much for speaking such clarity into that. Right. And now what what are we doing with these these children? Now, the fixed point in space, the North Star that we're navigating by is the delusion. And so we're holding the delusion as the fixed point in space. And then we're systematically mutilating the kids psychologically, endocrinologically with hormones, and then finally surgically. We're mutilating the body to bring the outward appearance into alignment with the subjective perception. I'm asking anyone who's listening, please really listen back to this perspective because we are really changing how we think about truth and it's hurting young people. So please listen up, be aware and do something with this information. When the topic comes up, don't be afraid to bring it up. You can listen to more at Trending with Timory. You can find us at Radiotrending.com. I want to change gears here for a second. Dr. Nadal, I want to go ahead and talk about the topic of career path, changing maybe your career in the middle of a successful career, wanting to kind of just change directions, or also advice for college students and people looking to provide for their families. I know you have a number of academic degrees behind you, but also you worked as an academic dean for Holy Apostle College and Seminary. I would love to get your thoughts here. Sure. Well, for students, what I would say is, For college students, um, unless you're in a pretty traditionally Catholic or, you know, conservative Christian college, 
a lot of your faculty are going to be somewhere to the left of Mao. So you got to be careful because they, they're not into truth. They're into indoctrination. And so I would advise students, you in your own personal life and then the church and the life of the church, we need you to get your credentials in order. Once you have your degrees and your credentials in order, nobody can take that from you. And then you become a very powerful voice you know, out in the battle. And don't worry, these battles are not going anywhere. They were, they're going to be here a long, long time. You're not missing out on anything. So I would say stay close to the sacraments in school. Don't fight the faculty, right? And you need a good grade point average to get into graduate school. So, you know, you're going to need to have at least a, a 3.3 grade point average, right? Grad schools take you with a minimum of a 3.0. Uh, you don't want professors trashing your grades to spite you. Um, they're not worth fighting with. Just tell them what they want to hear if they're, you know, somewhere to the left of now. Don't have the fight with them. Keep the bigger picture in mind. And also on campus, you know, living a virtuous life, don't be duped by the counterfeit currency on campus, right? So don't confuse sex for love. Don't use sex, drugs, alcohol to relieve stress, right? Make good friendships. Get involved in campus ministry. You know, have friends who are going to get together in public places and, and talk and hang out and socialize and, and, and laugh and, and enjoy yourselves and, you know, look out for one another on campus. Uh, I think that's important for students, you know, make sure you get your credentials, you know, and then you can go out and you can get involved in all kinds of work to help change the world. But first you need that credential. Amen. Thank you. Now, uh, what advice do you have for people maybe looking to change, change career paths and who are working on providing for their families? Yeah, I know. Uh, I went to school I did a lot of my graduate work while Regina and I were married and we started having babies. And so I was kind of like going to school full time and I was teaching college full time while I was going to college, you know, grad school full time. And I was doing outside work, doing private tutoring to also help pay the bills. It can get a little hairy. So, but if you, you want to change careers, see what it's going to take to do that. What kind of additional training are you going to need and put together a plan that's really sound. You may want to talk to you know, a financial advisor, you know, with your spouse and sit down and, and look at, you know, the most sane, rational way of going about it where you don't incur, you know, too much debt if you incur any debt at all. Take into account how long, you know, your program is going to take, whatever it is that you're, you're changing from one career to another if that requires additional training. You know, you can do it, but, you know, I wouldn't just up and quit a job to go so someplace else, right? Right. Now, here's another perspective. I love how you mentioned talking to a financial advisor, seeing if it's realistic for your family. But a lot of people, especially men, are struggling with this balance of trying to provide. And even in your story, I see that you do everything you can to make ends meet. Can you speak to men who are struggling to make this happen? So speaking to my brothers in arms here, you know, gentlemen, it's what we do. It's what we're called to do. And we're called to make sacrifices for our family. And we're supposed to actually model sacrificial love. And it's hard. It, it's really hard. Um, but, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be misery either. I mean, yeah, it's hard. It's challenging. You know, it can be exhausting at times. But we're modeling something for our children here. And we're modeling something even for our wives. You know, that when God put us in this leadership role, you know, Jesus was very clear at the Last Supper. The one among us that would be the leader has to humble himself and become the servant of all. So, being the leaders of our family, we're serving their needs. And that often requires long, hard you know, hours of work on our part. But it's worth it. It's rewarding. It's beautiful. It's very fulfilling. 
Thank you. And I love looking to various models like yourself and many out there who are not only working in the public sphere, but also donating your, their time to ministry. You're truly living the Catholic call. And I know that's really pulled you more so in using your talents as a molecular microbiologist to serve the pro-life community. But man, I hear stories about you on campus teaching, being an incredible voice and model to these students, being an academic dean. Thank you for everything that you're doing. I would love to have uh, really a direction for listeners who want to follow you in your work. Where can people go to find you? Well, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm also, I have a blog, um, GerardNadal.com. That's GerardNadal.com. If you enjoy the show, please head over to RadioTrending.com. Go to the contact page. Let us know what you think, any topics that you might want to hear discussed. Thank you for listening and God bless you guys. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guest, visit RadioTrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 